Welcome to Financially Ever After, where award-winning and nationally recognized financial expert Stacy Francis will bring you savvy tips and words of wisdom on how to secure your financial future before, during, and after divorce. For 30 minutes every other week, you'll hear personal stories from women who have either faced or are currently facing this transition. In addition, you'll also soak up knowledge and inspiration from the industry's top legal, financial, residential, and mental health professionals. And now here's our host, Stacy Francis. Welcome to Financially Ever After, coming to you every other week with great content to help make sure that you can make good decisions, both legally, emotionally, and financially, before, during, and after divorce. And today we have Carolyn Walsh Perry, who is a attorney with 15 years of experience, both as a civil litigator as well as a trial attorney. She's successfully represented construction companies, building owners in law labor, as well as defect cases and large scale environmental claims. Today, she's going to be talking a lot about matrimonial law. She developed a keen interest in family law after the opportunity to work on several Hague Conventions cases. And if you're not sure with what the Hague Convention is, it has to do with international child abduction cases. She has both a professional and personal association with family and matrimonial law. She's a child of divorce, a divorcee, and a stepmom. So she comes to us with a very different perspective, a perspective from three separate persons experiencing divorce. She understands divorce on a personal level and is happily living with her husband here in New York City with two stepkids and two cats. I'm a big cat fan. I grew up with 13 cats, so don't judge me. Um, never, never, never thank judge you. you thank you and there's a story I don't want to go to it so don't judge me of how we ended up with 13 but um, let me just say I'm a big I'm a big cat fan too so it's great to have you here thank you for having me so it's the Hague convention that um, really attracted you to to this part of, of law and you had been practicing in, in other areas before um, tell us more about that what Obviously, it was something that was very powerful and and changing for you. Sure. So my clients uh, before were construction companies, uh, building owners, architects. Uh, I also did med mal defense. Um, so, but really, my my client was a corporation, and you know, I I worked very hard and I I did a good job, but the victory was always a little hollow you know Mm. it just it wasn't very personal and one night I uh, was at my desk because I was a workaholic I still am a little bit and uh, received a phone call from someone who needed local counsel for a hay case and it was um, a child uh, two children who had been taken from their home in Paris uh, to New York City Um, this was a glamorous couple obviously Um, and the and the it was an attorney who only handles hate cases and needed uh, to uh, be pro-hocked into New York and, and needed local counsel, and I agreed to do it, having had no experience in doing it, but I it sounded so intriguing. And um, I had to prepare the father for uh, being in the courtroom. We filed a habeas uh, petition to bring the children into the court and to have them sent back to Paris. 
and I had to prepare the father for the fact that these young children had not seen him in approximately six months. We had no idea what the mother had said, um, whether the children knew if he was alive or not, or if they thought that he had been abandoned, uh, that they had been abandoned or not. Um, And so it was, you know, very uh, emotional just waiting there for these children to come in. And uh, we're sitting in this, you know, big marble and wood courtroom, you know, the only ones in there, it was empty and there was not a sound. And we hear the big wooden door just creak open a little bit. And we see these two sets of eyes looking in and then they saw their father and their eyes just, you know, went wide and they went, you know, Papa, whatever, and ran to him, ran into his arms. He was crying. They were crying. I was trying not to cry because I'm a professional woman. And it was so incredible. And it was just a, an amazing experience. And I had never felt that kind of satisfaction in the work that I'd done. So uh, when it was time to make a, a work transition in life, I kind of knew I wanted to do family law. Um, and I, I, was, I did volunteering before that just to make sure if I really wanted to make this change. And, uh, and eight years ago, I transitioned into family law. I've never looked back and I've never been happier. And I love it. And I still get that same satisfaction of getting somebody from the crappy place of, you know, bad marriage to, okay, it's over and my life is beginning again. Yeah. So, number one, your story, um, I nearly started crying. And I saw have, that. And have goosebumps too. How can adoption, how can that happen? Is it easy? Is it, I mean, does this happen, does this happen more frequently than we, than we think? Yes, it does actually. It does happen more frequently than you think. I'm actually uh, working on a case now where the children were taken from one European country to to New York. Um, The mother told the father uh, she was taking one child to school and another child to a play date. And that was in July. And, you know, he still hasn't seen you know, his children in, in that period of time. And, and, and that's a case that we're working on. Um, again, it's the, the Hague cases, uh, petition cases are not custody cases. They're really venue cases. Yeah. And part of the Hague uh, treaty says you can't take your children here, there and everywhere. If you have a custody case, you have to fight it out in the, in the child's home country, mm-hmm. you know, home state. We have in, in the uh, domestic version of the is the UCCJEA, so you can't take a child from one state to the other. You have to keep the custody uh, battle in the home state. Mm-hmm. So yes, it does happen. It absolutely does happen more than we realize. And is it mostly with um, a couple that's not doing, you know, not agreeing or going through the separation route or starting a divorce? that one of the parties is, uh, you know, has an international background or, um, you know, does it typically happen um, when someone's in Europe and they move to New York or they're in New York and they move back to their home country where they grew up in, let's say, Germany? What does that look like? It it usually looks like where you have, if you have a couple where one person is from another country, Um, and they've left their home country and they're here, let's say, in New York or wherever, um, and and now they're not happy in the relationship and they don't feel comfortable and they they just want to go home. And you're not allowed to do that because if, 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 for instance, if New York is the child's home state, you have to stay 
in New York and they just don't want to do it and they just take off and leave um, and they're usually getting help from family or friends in their you know native country um, so a, a tip I would recommend uh, to anybody who even if they're happily married um, if you have a spouse or a partner who is from a different country um, I would always recommend getting something in writing sta stating that when your partner or spouse leaves uh, to go to another country with the children that that time that they're away you ha you have sole custody over the children and you know, so, you know something in writing that you can present to uh, that government mm -hmm. um, you know as a just in case mm -hmm. it's interesting because I've I travel with my children internationally and um, my my husband is from from England um, my family even though I'm up here in the United States my, my brother lives in England as well so I travel with them um, a good amount on my own because he is meeting us or, or whatever and I've never been questioned about going into England with my children on my own without my husband um, I've never even been questioned when I'm traveling alone with my nieces it it's it's surprising um, in fact, I had a letter ready to go from their mom to explain that, you know, I'm their aunt and they're coming with us to Florida to go to Disney World and, you know, whatever it happened to be. Um, do, does, is this a problem at the borders or is this a, more of a problem that we need to, you know, think about in the, ma I mean, matrimonial field? I, I just, I'm just shocked that this can happen it, so easily. It's a problem That's, at the border, as you saw. Yeah. I mean, you, you were able to take your children internationally without their father, with absolutely no paperwork. You were able to take other yeah. children with no paperwork. It's a problem at the border, which is why I think that, um, you know, in a, if it's a prenup or a postnuptial agreement or something like that, there should be something in writing so that you Language. could present it to a government. Because then there are plenty of countries that are not signatories to the Hague uh, Treaty, um, and then you know you're then there's there's no, really no recourse. So if this this happens, uh, so this gentleman where his children were taken um, and moved to New York, even if he comes to New York following them he doesn't necessarily have the ability to to see them how does that how does that work well that that's a little tricky uh, we don't want him to submit to New York jurisdiction because that sort of defeats his Hague his Hague claim so okay. what we're doing is we, we will we are filing a Hague petition on his behalf um, they, we were contacted by the uh, this European government's agency that deals with this and uh, we're drafting the petition for him and and uh, if he he will have to come uh, for a uh, a court appearance mm -hmm. but we don't want him just yeah. being here and having a judge say oh well you're a resident so just move here yeah well you're here yeah. so just yeah so what yeah you know the children are here now yeah so what's the big deal a lot of issues Yes. a lot of issues to to deal with that um, you know when you came to this came to this field you you have personal experience of seeing your your parents go through divorce you've been through that yourself and now you are remarried and, and you have step stepkids um, do you 
do you go into this um, with sometimes a, a different view than, than someone who maybe didn't have that experience, particularly if if a couple has children, for example? Yeah, absolutely, I do. I mean, I, you know, when, when they're doing, when I see clients doing things that are not uh, great for the children, I take it very personally and I will say to them, you know, my parents did that or if my parents did that to me or this is how I would feel. Um, and I and I sort of try to let them know, you know, kids really do notice things and they really, even if they don't understand exactly what's happening, they feel the anxiety and they feel yeah. um, the weirdness um, that they just can't articulate yet. Um, and I and I do recall that. And so I, I you know, let them know you, you can't do this. Your your children really will remember it. It, it really will affect them. Um, I also uh, treat my clients the way, you know, I wanted to be treated as a divorce client mm -hmm. you know I wanted to be heard you know it's, yeah. it's not such a simple business transaction where okay yeah. I'm buying a house that's it I'm not a therapist but I understand that I really need to listen somebody really needs to to get out and they really need to tell me what happened in their marriage and and why there was a breakdown and how they're feeling um, again not to the level of a therapist but they they really do need uh, that compassion and they need to hear that mm -hmm. and you know, I imagine as well that one of the things of, of being listened to is also being responded to. And I know for you, you're you're very good about following up with your clients, answering emails, answering phone calls, um, and that's really important. I I I don't see that as often as you might hope that you that you would. Again, it's I. It's how I want how I wanted to be treated, and yeah. you know, whenever I sort of feel like blowing off an email or a phone call, or because I'm too busy, or I, I sort of remember this person's on tender hooks. They really are are nervous, and they just even if I'm emailing back to say I can't get to this right now, it's being worked on or something. They just yeah. need to hear something from me because they're. It's not a normal transaction it's not an everyday thing it's not when is your wallpaper you know going to be coming in it's uh, yeah. what's happening with my life it's it's a very uh, difficult time yeah um one of the things that we we talked about before we jumped on the podcast was trying to find that that right attorney mm -hmm. number one um but then making sure that you choose the right process for your divorce. So let's jump to that first piece. What should you be looking for when you're looking for an attorney? You should be looking for an attorney that's going to listen to you, that is going to try to settle your case, that is not going to take advantage of the fact that you are very emotional and you are very scared. Um, and this is your life and you're worried about custody of your children and your money and your future um, somebody should be really willing to uh, hear that and and really try to settle your case and I think someone also should be trying to preserve your family even if you are not in the mindset of that yet even if you really hate your spouse at that point if you have children together children are deathly part not marriage and mm -hmm. and you will have to have a relationship with this spouse um, for the rest of your life and and I, when I say preserve it I don't mean you have to be best friends mm -hmm. but you want to be able to uh, both be at your child's graduation 
Maybe not necessarily sitting together, but you don't want your child to have to choose which parent comes to the wedding and comes to the graduation or birthday parties. Um, So there should be some attempt to try to preserve the family. In terms of the process, you know, I get so many calls and and the person says, oh, my spouse wants to do mediation. And here's my, my problem with mediation. It sounds like a great idea, but mediation is a meeting of equals. And, it, and when I say equal, I mean equal in terms of money, equal in terms of emotions, equal in terms of um, negotiating ability. If any one of those elements is is not equal, then mediation is not right. Mm-hmm. Um, you can certainly hire an attorney who could who could represent you in a mediation, because at some point you you may need an advocate. Unless if you really have you know your equal salaries, you know you both really just want this divorce. You maybe don't have a lot of assets to fight over. Mediation might be great then, you know mm-hmm. just. But when but otherwise, you know the mediator is in favor of a settlement. They're not your advocate so it's something to keep in mind that if you if you are in a position where you feel like uh, you know my husband's a real you know sweet talker and he's really good at at uh, at, at negotiating and I'm I'm a little bit more uh, I'll take a back seat then you you need an advocate you don't mm-hmm. need a mediator mm-hmm. and when you talk about a mediator um, really focusing on getting the settlement done and not necessarily being your advocate, when that happens, when there's this power imbalance and and maybe even bullying um, that, you know, if it happened during the marriage, then um, it could very well continue during the the divorce, not not surprising. Um, So many women are, are worried about the cost and they put litigation and dollar signs next to it. But obviously that case that I just spoke about would not necessarily be a case that's appropriate for mediation with bullying, with all of that. What do you want to share with women about litigation? Because I think that there is a, there's misinformation that all litigated cases are not like each other and that it doesn't have to equal dollar sign beyond dollar sign beyond dollar sign and it doesn't mean that you have to go to court for every step of the process can you talk about that because a lot of people are are, are afraid of litigation yeah absolutely that's a great point yeah. so one big thing to keep in mind is that this agreement that you're get you're entering into your settlement agreement is is actually going to affect you for the rest of your life so there you, you don't want to cut corners and save pennies on something like that this is something that really does need to be well negotiated and negotiated is can be the same thing as litigated I, I guess people think litigation means going to court um, we have a new a new process called collaborative law which means that the two attorneys really try to settle the case and if they can't settle the case and it goes to court then the parties have to get all new attorneys to go to court which to me just seems you know like a waste of time I mean I, I, I do really try to settle the case but I like knowing that I have the power of the court behind me if somebody mm-hmm. is not coming to the table um, in good faith 
really willing to negotiate, you know, and kind of comes in with this is a bottom line. Well, okay, fine. We'll go to court and see how that bottom line is. Sometimes you do need a, a preliminary conference with the judge mm-hmm. um, or, or have the party sit down with a, with a court attorney to say, this case is ridiculous. It should be settled. And this is probably how the judge would, would rule on this. Sometimes that's all it takes to mm-hmm. get something settled. So then actually you've saved money. Yeah. By having a you know a, a conference as opposed to just mediating for you know a year. Mm-hmm. Um, get I, I think that you really want somebody who uh, who gets you, who's listening to what you want, who has a clear vision of 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 where your case should go. Be very wary of the bulldog. Somebody who says I'm I'm we're gonna you know take this guy to the cleaners and we're gonna. Be very wary of that because that person really is just going to be aggressive and cause a lot of noise and a lot of trouble and not necessarily get you a better deal mm-hmm. and and certainly not preserve the family is going to create a lot of you know resentment so I, I hear from a lot of women that um, they'll go and they'll talk to a few attorneys before they they make that right just you know that decision which is what you need to be doing but they may talk to three people and two of them might say, you know, what what you're asking for, um, most likely we're not going to be able to get all of that. And these are the issues I think that we're going to have. And so I can't I can't guarantee that they'll go to and they'll hear those two same stories. They'll go to the third and the person will say, we'll get it. We'll get it. Um, and. You know, here she is, and she wants to, you know, she's worried about her financial future. And if this attorney is saying that they're going to be able to get 60% of the assets or, you know, lifetime maintenance or, and, and here I'm kind of exaggerating, you know, I'm, I'm kind of exaggerating, but um, how, how, how does she decide in that moment of, you know, do I go with this person who's telling me I've got a I've got a really good case and most likely I'm gonna be able to achieve what I'm I'm hoping, um, or do I go to these other two who are already kind of putting up red signals, and that scares me if if you know what I'm asking for I'm not going to be able to get because it means that I'm gonna have to move out of the house it might mean that the kids can't go to private school it might mean all these things. What do you do in that situation? Who do you, how do you trust? Who do you trust? Uh, that's a good question. I maybe go to a fourth attorney. Yeah. <laughs> Does the fourth yeah. attorney say that they're going to get you 60% when everybody else is saying, well, the law says 50, yeah. you know, ask that, that third attorney. Well, everybody else has said 50. How are you planning on getting 60? And if the answer is something like, well, I'm just that good, be wary. Yeah. Um, if the answer is, well, I'm just very aggressive and I'm just going to bury them in motions, be wary. Yeah, yeah. You, you might get a little bit more than the other two. It's going to take longer and it's actually going to cost you more in attorney's fees. Interesting. Um, yeah. so, so be very wary of the person who's just a little too confident and um, is, a little, is a little too aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, some people think that aggression is a good attorney and it's not. Yeah. It's really not. I, I see attorneys who are respectful, who are civil, who uh, where we can really negotiate. But you know, they're not. They're not nasty. They're yeah. not uh, unprofessional. But they they're they're not going to let me get away with anything. I mean, yeah. they're still good, strong attorneys. But it means that we can actually work together and probably save the clients 
some money. And a word that you use that I thought, um, Carolyn, was just a, a word that I've I, I feel like every single divorce should have is the word well negotiated. Mm-hmm. And not many people realize that litigation is a negotiation. People think mediation, negotiation, right? Negotiations, of course. But that negotiation by two very good, respectful litigators, it's negotiation as well. Yes, it is. Absolutely is. Um, yeah, the mediation is really, uh, it's, it is a negotiation, but there's, there's no advocate. It's the two parties really negotiating against each other, and you have sort of a referee. Um, what I try to do is, is to keep my clients out of court and really to negotiate with the other attorney who's a litigator and really try to get to the point where we've, we've, we now have a, a well-negotiated uh, agreement that the parties can enter into and then we file the divorce papers and, and nobody ever has to go into court or hopefully go into court only you know once or twice you know if mm-hmm. if at all um, but it, yes you're right negotiation um, is part of litigation mm-hmm. and thank you for pointing that out because I don't think people realize that no I, I don't I don't think that people jump to that word they just think of it so what are some kind of some top keys on having your case going through litigation um, and keeping it reasonably um, affordable. Um, Number one, I want to preface this, you know, I feel like some people are more willing to pay money for a expensive vacation than they are for their divorce. I'm just throwing throwing that out there. People are much happier to, during their divorce, go on a, you know, a, a safari maybe, um, and instead are, are not willing to put those dollars towards a, a well-negotiated divorce that leaves them in a, in a sound financial position. So I'm not talking about being a cheapskate here. I'm just talking about, you know, what do you find as those best clients that you love to work with that you've been able to effectively um, deliver for? Is it the client who is prepared and organized and able to give you all of their financial documents? Um, is it the person who um, is able to know what they're spending and be able to you know, go through and, and look at a year's worth of their expenses and give that to you broken out by what they spend, what their husband spent, and what the kids spend. Would these be all things that make it more effective of, of working with an attorney? That's absolutely a great way of working with an attorney, but I, I don't feel that I need that for my client initially because, uh, you know, I think when you're, if you've never gotten divorced before, you don't even know what it is that you don't know. So I'm fine working with someone and saying, okay, listen, this is what you need to do. This is this is the organizations that you need to take and this is the information that you need to get. If somebody can come into me with, here's my three years of tax returns, here's my, you know, it's my dream client, my, my, <laughs> you know, my budget, whatever, and, yeah. but nobody is like that you know yeah really um so i I help them get that way and 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 that's fine because i understand that they've never done this before they don't really know what to do and that's okay i I can guide them through that um you know the net worth statement is a big 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 document that you you use in a, a divorce every divorce has a net worth statement and that is your yearly budget of everything i mean everything from your laundry to your dry cleaning to your manicures to everything 
and I, you know, I, you know, I've never done one. I think it's it's difficult. It's about thirty pages, and to go, yeah. you know, I don't know how much I actually spend on on certain things. Uh, so I know that it's a very difficult document, but it's I think it's incredibly helpful um, for someone to do that just because it shows them you know, wow, I spend a lot more than I thought I did, or I spend a lot less, or it really gives them a a much clearer picture of of their, uh, of their finances. Would it be great if every client came into me with that already done? Yes, but that's just not realistic. Yeah. Yeah. But it also sounds like you have the tools to help them do that work and, and get and get organized as well. So usually what I do is I give them a blank a net worth statement and I say to them, you know, do the best that you can. I know that it's long. And, and, and this document also assumes that you have three properties and five cars and, you know, 10 bank accounts. So, you know, I said, just do the best that you can, give it to me, whatever mess that it's in, and I will clean it up, I will get it together. And then, on the second go round, I can ask very specific questions. You know, like it seems like you're not spending enough money here on groceries. You know, you have four children. This seems like a low amount. Is that correct? Or mm-hmm. oh, it seems like you're spending a lot on, I don't know, charities. Is that you know, is yeah. that something you can cut back on or whatever? Mm-hmm. We started a um, noticing that clients that fill out the statement of net worth where everything's ending in a zero or a five, we know immediately that everything's been ballparked. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we then, you know, dig a little further and say, well, do we actually need to look at what the spending really is? And um, sometimes they're, you know, actually pretty darn close with what that real spending is. And then other times we find that they're off by 10, even $20,000 a month in spending, which is, you know, a pretty big significant pretty big, yeah pretty big shift um we're, we're coming to the end i want to hear from you um you know any other tips that you might have for women who might be struggling through this process um any words of wisdom of what women did right or what you've seen on the past unfortunately certain women make mistakes doing um and what would you like to make sure that we we cover in our our last few minutes here. Sure, absolutely. Get a support system. You know, your divorce attorney is just one part of that support system, but get a financial advisor, get a divorce coach, get a therapist, get your best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, get people around you who are going to support you through this because it's it, it is a very emotional process. Um, it can be very difficult. Um, and there are so many emotions and feelings that you're going to have while you're going through this. You need a healthy outlet for them. Probably one of the biggest mistakes that I see is um, unhealthy outlets of, of that emotion, whether it's nasty emails to the ex or posting things on Facebook or nasty phone calls or withholding the children or in some way trying to um, get, get all those hurt feelings out in a way that's just really counterproductive. So if you you know need to go out with, for cocktails with your best friend every other night to really you know just say what a jerk this guy is, that's fine. Don't do it to him. I mean, you really have to. I, I guess one piece of advice that I give all of my clients is that from now on, I want you to act as though every email that you write is going to be seen by the judge, and every phone call that you make is going to be heard by the judge, and every action that you take is going to be under a microscope because, to an extent, it is. You know, it's very easy for somebody to print out all those texts and show it to a judge and say, look, 
you know, what this yeah. person is doing and that really can get you into trouble. So, you know, if, you know, if your emails before were very casual, you can make them a little bit more formal. Dear X, mm-hmm. I, I hereby inform you that I will need to change the children's schedule due to this. And it, I mean, it's, you really should be thinking that it's going to be seen by a judge. Mm-hmm. That is really wise advice, really wise advice. Carolyn, thank you so much for being here. How can our listeners find out a little bit more about yourself, your practice, um, maybe share your website? Sure. It's uh, uh, Carolyn, uh, my website? Carolyn Walsh Perry Law.com, C A R O L Y N W A L S H P A R R Y. Law Office of uh, Carolyn, uh, Carolyn Perry. So what I'll do also for all of you listening, um, we'll make sure that we have a link to your website in the show notes so that you can just go ahead and, and click on that. Um, we're also going to have some background information on the Hague Convention, um, international abduction, um, some tips that you need to know, as well as more information about um, the different processes that you can use and a link to our white paper because um, we had a lot of great advice from women um, in unveiling the um, unspoken truth. It was a white paper that over 150 women contributed to sharing their experiences through the divorce process, both the things they felt like they did really well and the things that they felt that they could have been done better, both by them or by any of the professionals they were working with. Something that uh, a vast majority of the women said, about 60%, said that they wished they had more support. And so, Carolyn, you definitely hit that right on the head, that having that support team is unbelievably key to be able to get through this process. So thank you, everyone, for listening in. Thank you, Carolyn, for your time. Coming to you every other week with great information to help you make good decisions, both now as well as in the future, to make sure that you have the most financially secure and the best life, because we all deserve that. If you have any questions about your finances or want to bounce something off of us, please feel free to reach out. You can reach out to me, Stacy S-T-A-C-Y, at francisfinancial.com, or you can visit our website. In fact, on the website, you can get a copy of that white paper electronically. And that is www.francisfinancial.com. Thank you, and we'll be seeing you in two weeks.